Hello, hello! Welcome to the first ever episode of Sylvia's Literary Corner, where we'll discuss 19th century English literature. My name is Sylvia, and today we will be talking about the one and only Edgar Allan Poe. Now, why begin with Edgar Allan Poe out of all the authors and literary figures of the 19th century? Well, I could give you a mite of reasons why he is the first of many authors to come, but it all boils down to him and I sharing a birthday, which, by the way, I love to introduce in every conversation that his name pops up. Like, I truly feel blessed to have been born on the same day as this literary genius. Thanks, universe. Besides, ever since I discovered his famous poem, The Raven, I have been completely in love with this amazing author, and my love for him did nothing but grow once I found out this curious bit of data. So, without further ado, let's dive into it. Edgar Allan Poe was born on January 18, 1809 in Boston, Massachusetts. His parents, David and Elizabeth, were two renowned traveling actors, which explains the theatricality of his narrations. At the short age of two, his father had left his family and his mother died, which left a big mark on Edgar's life. It is speculated that he was present when his mother passed away, which could explain his obsession with death and with people coming back from the dead. And if poor Edgar wasn't having it rough enough, he got separated from his siblings and was fostered by the Allen family, John and Francis. He moved to Richmond, Virginia with them, and thanks to John's position as a wealthy merchant, he attended a nice school where he learned Greek, Latin, grammar, and dancing. On January 7th, 1812, Edgar was baptized as Edgar Allan Poe. Dun, dun, dun. He started writing poems at the age of 14 tints of his dark and macabre style already present. But don't be fooled by this idea of Poe as an antisocial, sickly and crazy guy. Although they may be true to some extent, he was actually a pretty athletic teenager. I mean, on the summer of 1824, he swam up seven miles up the James River against a heavy tide. What sickly person does that? Wait, never mind, because you have to be crazy to even attempt to do that. So, scratch what I've just said. He was crazy. On 1826, when he was 17 years old, he entered Virginia University to study language, languages. Yet another thing Poe and I share, since I also study languages. But he was forced to drop out. The relationship with his stepfather had always been complicated, and when he started limiting the money that went to Poe's pocket, he was forced to gamble to try to pay his debts. In the end, he ended up with even a bigger debt, so at that point he had to withdraw from uni. And just to make things worse, that summer he went to visit his childhood sweetheart, Elmira Royster, only to be dumped by her for a wealthier man. A year later, he enrolled in the army under a false name, Edgar A. Perry, and he was actually pretty good at it. In less than two years, he became a surgeon major for artillery, which was one of the highest ranks he could aspire to. It was during his years at the army where he published his book of poetry, Tamerlane and Other Poems, under the pseudonym Apostonian. 
He really liked being in the army and he wanted to be promoted and create a name for himself. But his plans changed when his stepmother died from the same respiratory disease as his biological mother. Her death sent him out of control, his behavior became erratic and rebellious, and he tried to do everything in his power to get kicked out of the military school his father had enrolled him in a feeble attempt to make amends with Poe. Their relationship only got worse when in 1830, Poe found out that not only had John remarried without telling him, but that he had had children out of wedlock. This was the last straw. John and Edgar got into yet another argument, which ended with both of them breaking off their relationship. Poe also got kicked out of the military academy, and as a parting gift, his comrades raised some money for him to publish his second book of poetry, which was titled Poems. Straightforward, huh? With nowhere to go, he decided to move back to Baltimore with what remained of his biological family. It was at this stage of his life that he decided to make a living out of writing, becoming one of the few American writers who were able to do so, although he barely made any money since publishers were a bit tight-fisted. His career, career started to pick up in 1833, when his short story A Message Found in a Bottle won a $50 prize at the Baltimore Magazine. A year later, his stepdad fell ill, and in a last attempt to make amends with him, Poe went to visit him. However, John wanted nothing to do with him, and when he finally died, he left Poe out of his will. In 1835, he got a job as a critic at the Southern Literary Messenger, earning his reputation as a savage. He spread no one, literally no one, so much so that he was nicknamed the Tomahawk Man, and although he made a lot of enemies as a critic, it, also, it was also his source of fame. People knew him more as a critic than a writer. It was also during this year that he got married to his 13-year-old cousin, Virginia. Let's bear in mind that he was 26 at the time. Let that sink in. And if you want to comfort yourself thinking that people married young in the 19th century, well, people were also creeped out by it too. Make of that what you will. Anyways... He published his first and only novel in 1838, The Narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym, and during that year he also co-published a book about shellfish. Only one of them became the only living commercial success he ever had. And it came from the shellfish book. Again, make of that what you will, but what the hell did you read back then, Americans? Two years later, in 1840, Poe became the editor of Graham's magazine, where he published his short stories. Here, tales of the grotesque and arabesque, but most importantly, Murders on the Rue Morgue, which is considered the first ever detective fiction story, saw the light. I mean, he settled the trend that many authors will later follow. Sherlock freaking Holmes is inspired by Auguste Dupin, detective of Poe's story. How cool is that? If you haven't read it yet, I thoroughly recommend it. Like, go do it now. Pause this podcast, I can wait. But read it. Okay, we're back. Cool, let's continue. Another one of his short stories won a prize in 1843. This time they were $100 and it was published in the Philadelphia newspaper. 
The narration was the Goldback, and it even got a theatric production and a translation into French. It was also praised because, although it is considered pretty much racist by today's standards, the story featured a black man who had a starring and active role, which was seen as a progressive move at the time. Ever the workaholic, in 1845, he moved to New York to become the editor of the Evening Mirror. And then it finally came. The piece of his work that I've been dying to talk about and the one that made me fall in love with the author. The Raven. Forgive me, I can feel I'm entering fungal mode. It became an instant success. People loved it. And to this day, it is the best known poem of his. And how can you not love it? The haunting yet beautiful atmosphere creates the deep sorrow the narrator is seen produced by the death of his beloved Lenore and how the raven, with his simple one-word answer of nevermore, drains him out of any hope he may have had. It is simply brilliant and it is impossible to describe how I feel every time I read it. There is no adjective in English or in in any other language for that matter to describe such a masterpiece. Okay, fangirl moment is over. Going back to Poe's life, things seemed to be looking up, but happiness didn't last long. His wife Virginia had been ill for some years, but her life finally ended in 1846. Now, there's some piece of gossip regarding her death. Poe had allegedly been flirting with a poet named Francis Osgood, which Virginia actually liked. But there was another poet fighting for Poe's attention, Elizabeth Elliot, who was obsessed with him. Poe had no interest in her and she started spreading rumors of Poe having an affair with Osgood, as well as claiming that he had been writing her love letters, which in reality she was the one who wrote them to him and she got sent back. Due to her false accusations, Virginia's health worsened, leading to her death, where when her dying breath claimed that it was Elliot who killed her. Talk about a soap opera, forget all about Pasión de Gavilanes, this is the real deal. Virginia's death left Poe devastated, and for two years in a row, he went every day to her grave to put fresh flowers. He had always been known to be a drinker, but it wasn't until his wife's death that he really started drinking. But once again, here's another myth we have to debunk. Although he had a reputation for a drunk, Poe didn't actually drink that much, but he was a lightweight. Just one glass of wine could knock, knock him out. After her death, Poe's life started to spiral down. He tried to get back on his feet, he got engaged with another woman in 1848, and she was aware of his quote-unquote drinking problem, which was more a reputation he got than an actual problem, she asked total abstinence from him. He was unable to keep his promise, thus the wedding got called off. Then, in 1849, tried his luck in love again, reconnecting with Elmira Royster, who was now a widow. He was so serious about quitting drinking that he joined the Sons of Temperance, sort of like the AA, which stands for Alcoholics Anonymous of the 19th century. He was trying to get his life together. He was about to go on a literary tour to collect money to fund his own literary magazine. Things were starting to look up. But then, we finally arrive at the most bizarre event of Poe's life, 
his death. On September 20th, 1849, he embarked on a trip to Philadelphia, where he had found a job. However, during that trip, he completely vanished, only to be found on October 3rd, drunk on a ditch in Baltimore. He was wearing ill-fitting clothes and was talking nonsense. They took him to a hospital, and four days later, he died. To this day, the, the circumstances surrounding his death are still a mystery, in true, in true Poe fashion. There is no death certificate, nothing. And of course, this has led to multiple conspiracy theories. After listening to some of them, there are only two who have called my attention. The first one is a bit juicy and it's much more mysterious. On October 3rd, they were holding some elections and the ditch he was found in was near a polling station. At the time, there was a popular voting fraud called Kupin, where unwilling people to vote were forced to do so thanks to a persuasive bidding. They had to vote multiple times under different names and different disguises, which would explain the clothes Poe was found in. The other theory states that Poe was suffering from brain cancer, which would explain his delirious state. Nevertheless, we don't have any proof to neither of the theories, so everyone is free to believe whatever they want. His obituary was written by his literary executor, which is the person who owned his works, Rufus Griswold, who despised him, so you can imagine how that turned out. This hatred stemmed from his jealousy, and he was trying to court Frances Oswood, the woman with whom Poe was allegedly flirting. Griswold did everything in his power to destroy Poe's reputation, but as fate would have it, he only made him more famous. He wrote some memoirs of Poe depicting him as a crazy, drunk, antisocial person, surrounding him in an aura of mystery and creating that bad boy persona that people couldn't help but feel attracted to. In fact, this is the image of Poe that has survived the miserable office rocker with a drinking problem genius, when he was just a devoted husband, loyal friend, and yes, a genius. He is considered the father of short stories, which he wrote based on two principles. They should be read in one sitting and each word should contribute to the overall effect of the story, as well as the father of detective fiction. Macabre as they were, Poe's appeal came from diving into people's fears. He wrote about things that people were actually scared of, like being buried alive. It's besides, the use of poetry techniques in prose writings heightened the tensions of fiction, creating an emotional intensity so strong that the reader feels that he's recounting an intense dream with the narrator is having. And to make, even, to make it even more dreamlike, all the stories took place at night. In addition, he successfully managed to transfer the mind of the writer to the mind of the reader through the use of the first person, as well as relating everything to the state of mind of the narrator all the fearful elements deriving from the description of the specific details, details of what goes on inside his mind, of his psychological state. And if diving into the mind of a psychopath wasn't scary enough, he intentionally leaves out details of the story, leaving them to the reader's imagination, which increases his sense of fear. By using the conventions of gothic fiction, he emphasizes the grotesque, the outlandish, the bizarre, so characteristic of his stories. For most of his career, he was a freelance writer and his devotional love for literature had no limits. 
a proficient writer, he crossed genres multiple times and even created new ones. His genius knew no limits, becoming an American icon with his macabre style and elements of horror and terror still present in the current literature. After investigating Poe's life, I can't help but admire him even more than I did before. His life might have been a hot mess, and yes, he could be considered as a bit mad, but he didn't let his bad luck stop him. He pushed through the bad times and wrote some amazing stories, leaving an imprint on literature. He is one of the greatest figures of literature, and I will be forever glad that I was born the same day as he was. So, happy 211th birthday, Edgar Allan Poe. Thanks for everything you've done for literature. Your efforts to preserve it and save it were not in vain. And with this dramatic reading of The Raven, I sign off. See you in the next episode of Sylvia's Literary Corner. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered, weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. This some visitor, I muttered, tapping at my chamber door, only this, and nothing more. Ah, distinctly I remember, it was in the bleak December, and its separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly I wished the morrow, vainly I had sought to borrow from my books sources of sorrow, sorrow for the lost Lenore, for the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels named Lenore, nameless here forevermore. silken sad uncertain rustling of its purple curtain thrilled me, filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before, so that now, to still the beating of my heart, I stood repeating, tis some visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door, some late visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door, this it is, and nothing more. Presently my soul grew stronger, hesitating then no longer. Sir, said I, or madam, truly your forgiveness I implore, for the fact is I was napping, and so gently you came rapping, and so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door, that I scarce was sure I heard you. Here I opened wide the door, darkness there, and nothing more. Deep into that darkness peering, long I stood there wondering, fearing, Doubting, dreaming dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before. But the silence was unbroken, and the darkness gave no token, and the only word there spoken was the whispered word, Lenore. This I whispered, and an echo murmured back the word, Lenore. Merely this, and nothing more. into the chamber turning, oh my soul within me burning, soon I heard again a tapping, somewhat louder than before. Surely, said I, surely that is something at my window lattice, let me see then what the read is, and this mystery explore, but let my heart be still a moment, and this mystery explore, tis the wind and nothing more.
open here I flung the shutter, when, with many a flirt and flutter, in there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore, not the least obeisance made he, not an instant stopped or stayed he, but, with mien of lord or lady, perched above my chamber door, perched upon a bust of palace, just above my chamber door, perched and sat, and nothing more. Then this ebony bird, beguiling my sad fancy into smiling, by the grave unstern the corn of the continents it wore, though thy crest be sorn and saven, though, I said, art sir no craven, ghastly grim and ancient raven, wandering from the nightly sore, tell me what thy lordly name is on the night's plutonian sore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Much I marvel this and gaily follow, to hear the score so plainly, though its answer little meaning, little relevancy bore. For we cannot help agreeing that no living human being ever yet was blessed with seeing bird above his chamber door, bird of beast upon the sculptor bust above his chamber door, with such name as Nevermore. But the raven, sitting lonely on the placid bust, spoke only that one word as if his soul in that one word he did that pour. Nothing farther than he uttered, not a further than he flattered, till I scarcely more than muttered, all the friends have flown before. On the morrow he will leave me, as my hopes have flown before. Then the bird said, nevermore. Startled at the stillness broken by reply, so aptly spoken, doubtless, said I, what it utters is its only stock and store, caught from some unhappy master whom unmerciful disaster follows fast and follow faster till his songs one burden bore till the dirges of his hope that melancholy burden bore of never never more but the raven still beginning all my sad soul into smiling, straight I will a cushion sit in front of bird and bust and door. Then, upon the velvet sinking, I betook myself to linking fancy unto fancy, thinking what this ominous bird of yore, what this grim, ungainly, ghastly, gaunt, and ominous bird of yore, meant in croaking, nevermore. This I sat engaging, gazing, but no syllable expressing to the fall whose fiery eyes now burning to my bosom's core. This and more I sat divining, with my head at ease reclining on the cushion's velvet lining that the lamplight gloated o'er. But whose velvet violet lining with the lamplight gloating o'er, she shall press nevermore. Then, methought, the air grew denser, perfume from an unseen censer, swung by angels whose faint footfalls tinkled on the tufted floor. Wretch, I cried, thy God had lent thee, by these angels he had sent thee, respite, respite and nepenthe from thy memories of Lenore. Quaff, oh, quaff this kind nepenthe, and forget this lost Lenore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, whether tempter sent or whether tempest tossed thee here a sore, 
desolate yet all undaunted, on this desert land enchanted, on this home by horror counted, tell me truly, I implore, is there, is there a bold in Gilead, tell me, tell me, I implore, for the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, by that heaven that bends above us, by that God we both adore, tell this soul with sorrow laden if, within the distant Aden, its soul clasp a Satan maiden, whom the angels name Lenore, clasp a rare and radiant maiden, whom the angels name Lenore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Be that word or sign of parting, bird or fiend, I script, upstarting, get thee back into the tempest and the night's plutonian shore. Leave no black plume as a token of that lie thy soul hath spoken, leave my loneliness unbroken with the bust above my door. Take thy beak from out my heart, and take thy form from off my door, call the raven, nevermore. And the raven, Never flitting, still is sitting, still is sitting on the pallid bust of Pallas just above my chamber door, and his eyes have all the seeming of a demon that is dreaming, and the lap light over him streaming throws his shadow on the floor, and my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted nevermore.